Well, after a conversation with someone in the lobby a few minutes ago, I am going to change my text and my sermon for today. I'm going to be working out of Daniel chapter 8, which is entitled, Daniel's Vision of a Ram and a Goat. I looked up and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal and the horns was, were long. No animal could stand against him. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn came. He came toward the two-horned ram and charged at him with great rage. I saw him and on and on it goes. All right. <laughs> I will not be preaching that text this morning, okay? (laughs) We'll see what kind of a prophet Daniel actually was. (laughs) If my sermon goes two minutes long, blame it on that, okay? (laughs) So, what about single people? More than a few of you have asked me that question for the past few weeks in the lobby or by email. I mean, for a month now, we've been talking about family and about how we find true belonging at home. But what does that mean for a person who lives alone, for someone who's not married, someone who doesn't have children? Now, we've pointed out several times along the way that family comes in all shapes and sizes, that we all have people in the world we are related to by birth or marriage or adoption. But still, it's not uncommon in a series like this for a single person to feel left out. In fact, over my years as a pastor, I've had quite a few single people say they often feel left out at church, especially in a church that feels family-oriented like Grace does. So what about single people? It turns out to be a pretty important question because it's a pretty large segment of the population. Depending on what survey you look at, about half of adult Americans today are single, somewhere between 45 and 51%. And the percentage is rising every year as people wait longer to get married, as they live together instead of being married, as they live longer after a spouse passes away. And we know there are many ways to be single, single by choice, single by circumstance, single for a season, single for life. So what does a series on a home have to offer a person who lives alone? How can a single person experience the depth of belonging that might be available to a more typical family unit? Those are the questions I'd like us to explore for a few minutes this morning, not just uh, for the sake of the single people among us, but for all of our sakes. Because as we're going to discover, whether we are single or married, We are all looking for the same thing in the most important relationships of our lives. We're looking for intimacy. Now, we have been identifying the values of homes that offer true belonging. And so far, we have learned that our homes become places of true belonging when we value faithfulness, trust, restoration, and nurture. This week, we'll add intimacy to the list. Now, that may seem like a strange word to use in a sermon on singleness, since we often associate intimacy with sexuality. It's going to seem even stranger when I tell you that the biblical character we'll be looking at today, who shows us what intimacy looks like, is Jesus, who, in case we forgot, was single. Now, since it's been a long time since I was single... 
as I prepared for this message, I've had lots of conversations with single people. And a little bit later in the message, I'm going to invite Pastor Cheryl to come and share a little bit about her personal journey towards belonging as a single person. So before we go any further, we should make sure we understand exactly what we're talking about here. Most people hear the word intimacy and immediately associate it with sex. And if you Google the word intimacy, you will pretty quickly end up there, so be careful. (laughs) But intimacy is both more simple and more profound than that. The dictionary defines intimacy as close familiarity or friendship. Having a close personal relationship with someone. Now the functional word there is the word close. Intimacy is closeness to a person. Closeness that enables you to know them and be known by them better than if you had some distance from them. Someone has cleverly defined intimacy as into me see. Into me see. Because intimacy is about seeing someone as they really are and being seen by them. Now, intimacy is what God had in mind when he said, let us make mankind in our image. Our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, and yet so close the three of them are actually one. We're made in that image. Intimacy is what God had in mind when he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Adam needed someone else, someone like him but different from him with whom he could be close and share the experiences of life and faith. Intimacy is what God had in mind when we're told the man and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. Now talk about closeness. Talk about into me see. Now certainly there was a sexual dimension to it Physically speaking, you can't get any closer to a person than that. And physical intimacy is a wonderful thing for a husband and wife to enjoy together in the safety and the freedom of marriage. But there's more to it than that. This was a closeness on every level, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. Nothing hidden. Nothing held back. Nothing not shared. Intimacy is about knowing someone and being known by someone in the deepest possible way. And that kind of intimacy is meant for and available to every human being, whether married or single. And family is one of the first and often the richest places in which we can experience this kind of closeness. So with that in mind, let's take a look at the intimate life of a solitary man, Jesus. I surveyed all four of the Gospels, looking at all of the personal relationships and interactions in Jesus' life. And I discovered there are three experiences of family, three expressions of family in which Jesus experienced intimacy and in which we can experience them as well, whether married or single. So the first experience of family we find in Jesus' life is his earthly family, what we might call his natural family. 
I find it interesting that all through the Gospels, we find snapshots of Jesus interacting with the members of his family. And most of those interactions are remarkably personal and even intimate. Let's look at the first one, and a familiar one from Luke chapter 2. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in strips of cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, it doesn't get much more intimate than this, a husband and a wife delivering a baby together alone in a remote place. But look at the vividness of the picture, Mark. We we can see it in our imagination. Mary holding the baby Jesus in her arms, wrapping him carefully in cloth, gently lying him in a manger. The first family, Jesus' family, may have been materially poor, but this is a relationally rich environment. For most of us, home is where we first learn to be intimate. It's where we learn how to get close to other human beings. That's why babies need to be held. That's why toddlers need to sit on your lap. It's why children want to wrestle with their dad or their mom or their uncle or their grandparents. It's why teenagers need to be hugged once in a while, whether they lack, act like it or not. They do. Studies have shown again and again that that girls who experience appropriate affection from their fathers are far less likely to get dragged into unhealthy relationships later on. I heard a character on a TV show just this past week uh, put it this way. Love is like riding a horse or speaking French. If you don't get the hang of it when you're young, you probably never will. We learn to love to be close at home. And so singles, do you have children in your life, in your extended family, nieces, nephews, grandchildren? They need lots of hugs, and so do you. We've got lots more snapshots of Jesus and his earthly family as we go through the Gospels, and and almost all of them are incredibly intimate. An an adolescent argument at the temple, a proud mother nudging Jesus into the spotlight, adult brothers bickering with one another over who's important. And then there's this one. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. What a moment. Mary is close enough to see the blood dripping from her son's wounds. And Jesus is close enough to hear his mother's breaking heart. And in that awful moment, Jesus speaks tenderly to his mother, and he cares for her. These are intimate moments in the life of a solitary man. You don't have to be close. You don't have to be married to be close to the members of your family. Your family of origin, your extended family, the generation before you, the generation behind you. 
Are you intentionally reaching out to the members of your family? Are you exchanging hugs? Are you holding them? Are you arguing with them? Are you speaking tenderly to them? Are you caring for them and allowing them to care for you, whether single or married? And so there's the earthly family. But then, then we meet a second kind of family in which Jesus experienced intimacy, and we can too. I'm going to call this the friendship family. We all have people in the world who are like family to us. Honorary aunts and uncles. We might say about a person, yeah, she's like a second mother to me. Or he's like the brother I never had. We all have people like that in our lives. People we have shared many years with, perhaps, or gone through difficult experiences. And we're so close to them, they're, they're more than friends. They're family. And it turns out there's a word for those kinds of relationships. It's family. Now, if that sounds like a Dave Ripperism, <laughs> he is the one who introduced me to that word. But it turns out to be a real thing. If you go to the Urban Dictionary, you'll find this definition. Family describes good friends who are the family we can choose for ourselves. And we all have people in our lives like this, whether we're single or we're married. And Jesus had them as well. Let's go to John chapter 11. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, Jesus wasn't related to these people, but he might as well have been. This household was like a second home to him, a place to which he could retreat and feel safe. These were people who allowed him to be himself with whom he could relax. People who were so close to him that Mary felt comfortable anointing his feet with oil. You have to be like a sister to do something like that. As a single person, Jesus needed this family. He needed to be part of their home. And they needed him as well. All of their lives were enriched because they shared this experience of a friendship family. Married people, are you inviting single people into your home, into your life, into your circle? I spoke with a, a single woman who said that she would love to, to join a family sometime for an outing to the zoo or the beach or to have a home to go to for an Easter egg hunt or a 4th of July barbecue. But people don't invite her to things like that because they assume she's not interested because she doesn't have children. But that's exactly why she is interested in that kind of a thing. There's another snapshot of Jesus' family in John chapter 20, outside the empty tomb where his friend, a single woman and follower, Mary Magdalene, is weeping. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
Now, whether she threw her arms around him at that moment or fell at his feet, we don't know, but it was an intimate moment. A single man and a single woman alone together in a garden. It wasn't sexual, but it was close. It was intimate, and Jesus wasn't afraid of that. We don't have time to go into this in any kind of a depth, but but God made us male and female for a reason. Men and women need to be in meaningful relationships with each other because together in, re- in relationship, we, we reflect the image of God and we experience fully what it means to be human. And men and women can be close without having to have it be a romantic relationship. Unfortunately un- and predictably, people have tried to sexualize the relationship between Jesus and Mary Magdalene as if that's the only way a man and a woman can be close to each other. Working together professionally, playing together on a softball team, studying through grad school together, serving together on a team or a mission, going out together on a Saturday night with friends or a family. We need to be in each other's lives, men and women. One of the unfortunate and unintended consequences of the Me Too movement, as important as that movement has been, is that it has many men running scared of working relationships with women and social relationships. Now, certainly, we have to be careful about those kinds of relationships. They need to be appropriate and public and equitable. But we need to be in each other's lives. And we, the people of God, let's show the world, let's show the culture what it looks like for men and women to be in each other's lives in redemptive ways, whether we're married or we're single. So there's a, there's a natural family, there's a friendship family, and then, of course, there is the spiritual family in which Jesus found intimacy. We're told that on one occasion, Jesus' natural mother and brothers came looking for him. They were actually concerned that he might, he might even be losing his mind. And when Jesus were, was told that his mother and brothers were outside looking for him, this is what we read. Then Jesus looked at those seated around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. There will be times our earthly families and our earthly friendships are not enough for us, especially if they don't share our faith in Christ and our commitment to his kingdom and his work in the world. There's a bond that forms when we pray together, when we worship together, when we open the scriptures and study them with each other, when we serve alongside each other. Blessed be the tie that binds, the old hymn says. It's a spiritual bond, and it can be stronger than any earthly family bond. Sometimes our earthly families will be jealous of how close we can be with brothers and sisters in Christ. So we need each other. We need more than an hour together in worship, as important as that is. We need to belong to a smaller group of people's people. We need to serve together on a team. We need to look around the sanctuary or the place we're worshiping, look around the lobby. Who's alone? Who's, who, who's by themselves? One man told me that after his divorce, his married friends at church just stopped inviting him over. 
Another single woman told me that after many, many years of being single and not getting many invitations, as soon as she started dating someone, suddenly people invited them over her over again. I've talked to single moms who have been desperate for a, a man or two at church to take an interest and play a role in the lives of their children. It's what it means to be a faith family. Wesley Hill is a gay Christian man who has chosen to be single and celibate. He's written extensively on the importance of deep friendship and, and intimate connection in the church, in the body of Christ. He makes a remarkably strong statement in one of his books. He points out that the New Testament views the church rather than marriage as the primary place where human love is best expressed and experienced. Now, is that true of our church? Are we expressing that kind of love to one another? Are we experiencing that kind of intimacy with brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we including single and married people in our friendship circles, gay people and straight people? There are many, many more snapshots we could look at of Jesus if we had time to go through the Gospels. But what struck me as I worked through them all was how connected Jesus was. How many people he interacted with and how deep those interactions were. And we haven't even talked yet about the 12, the disciples, Peter, James, and John in particular. We haven't talked about all the strangers he interacted with in remarkably intimate ways. Putting his finger in their ears, touching them on the tongue, putting saliva on their eyes, holding them in his arms, allowing his betrayer to kiss him on the neck. Jesus lived the most beautifully connected life that the world has ever seen. And he did it as a single man. The other thing that struck me was that Jesus was single on purpose. He came into this world as a single man and lived his entire life as a single man. Now we have to believe that everything about the incarnation was on purpose. His royal ancestry, his lowly birth, his ordinary childhood, surely this was intentional as well. It would have had to have been because it would have been very unusual for a, a man of his age to not be married in that culture. One single woman who... Uh, has gotten kind of weary of people's awkward comments to her, said to me, I wonder how many people said to Jesus, what's a nice guy like you doing not being married? <laughs> that happened to Jesus, I'm sure. How many people tried to fix Jesus up with someone? <laughs> Jesus was single on purpose for all kinds of reasons to be sure. But one of the reasons was to make it very clear that it was, that, that being human, that being human was, was, was more than being married. It was more than being sexually active. Jesus was neither of those things. And yet he was fully human, fully a man, fully connected, fully satisfied. Jesus enjoyed the most intimate and impactful relationships the world has ever seen. 
and he enjoyed them as a single man. And those kinds of relationships are available to us as well, whether we are married or single. And often our families of one sort or another are where we find those relationships. So let me summarize this way. Our homes become places of true belonging when we value intimacy. Cultivating closeness with the most important people in our lives. And those people might be found in our earthly family or our friendship family, but certainly in our spiritual family. So I'm going to invite Pastor Cheryl to come now and share a little more personally what this journey towards belonging as a single person has looked like in her experience. Can we welcome Cheryl? First of all, let me say that it is a little intimidating stepping into a a space like this and uh, really after all that uh, we have already heard uh, from Brian this morning. But mainly because it's intimidating to speak on behalf of all singles who may be listening today. Because I do appreciate that we all have our own unique experiences as single people. Brian mentioned earlier that in the survey, there are more singles living in the United States today than ever before. So up front, let me just say that I am not a spokesperson or a poster child for singleness, all right? We have that out there. Uh, But what I would like to share with you is just a little bit of my journey of what it has been like to be a Christian woman uh, living, experiencing singleness for a longer season uh, than most. And what that has meant for me, how being connected with God and being connected with his family has brought a sense of wholeness to me and the intimacy that I think that we all desire as Christ followers. I've never really identified with the label of single. You know, I'll tell people that, like, yeah, I don't really see myself as single. Technically, that's what I am. Uh, but that's not really how I see myself. And although I have a desire to be married, neither single or married completely defines me. I'm grateful for God's grace, a whole lot of grace, uh, to live a life that goes against the cultural norms, Uh, get married, have a family, raise children. And if I'm being honest, I really can't tell you all the reasons why singleness has been part of my path so far, except that I know God created me, and he knows what I need to draw close to him and to find my truest identity in him. Um, Since I didn't grow up in church, I don't know how many of you know that, but I didn't grow up in church, so when I recommitted my life to Christ as a young adult, uh, I felt a strong need to find a group of friends who could help me understand. I see some people shaking their heads. Um, But to help me understand what it meant to live my life for Christ. Um, I also didn't have the healthiest of examples growing up. So I felt compelled to read everything that I could in the Bible about marriage and singleness. Um, I was encouraged by Paul and by Jesus, who were single people. 
They were single people living a fulfilled life with a community of believers. Along the way, one of the things when I think about uh, Paul and I think about Jesus and I think about other single people in the Bible, if they could have a fulfilled life, no matter their status, I can too, right? So along the way in my journey, um, I, many of you know, but I moved here about three and a half years ago. Um, so I've lived distant from my home state since I was 23 years old, uh, and I have lived in four different states uh, over this uh, time frame. So inter interactions with the family of God have been really vital for me uh, in shaping a nourished, fulfilled life. Like I said, I was hungry early on to learn about and learn everything that I could about my new identity in Christ. So early on, I sought out people. I sought out people who seemed spiritually mature, spiritually healthy people, uh, both single and married people to have conversations uh, with. And one of the things that impacted me most is that I could feel the difference when I was in the presence of someone who saw me for me, not as a single or married person, but just as a person on a journey with God, a people who focused on what we have in common in God's family. And as I became connected, more and more connected, I enjoyed getting to know married friends uh, who made time for me, uh, and as busy as their lives were, somehow they found time, they found ways to invite me uh, and to include me in their families. You know, I think that sometimes we feel like we need to have everything just right, right? We need to have it perfect, but we don't. Um, so one of the times that really um, stands out to me, one of my favorite experiences was when a friend, a girlfriend had invited me over and her husband was running late. Uh, he had some of the ingredients uh, for the dinner and she's cooking and the kids are all running around the house and they're being a little bit rowdy. Uh, the house is also mm, kind of a mess. And she looks at me, and she says, make yourself at home. Yeah, really sweet words. The reality is, is that we all have needs. And a relationship that is reciprocal is life-giving because we have a lot that we can learn from each other. We all have life experiences that can enrich one another. Another aspect of relationships that has been especially important to me uh, too, is when married men have extended a healthy view of friendships to me as a single woman. Uh, I can think of a few instances that when this has had a profound impact on me. Um, because I wasn't looked at as incomplete or as a temptation because I wasn't married. Uh, these men treated me uh, and, and saw me as a whole person in Christ, a whole person in Christ. Uh, one time that remains with me happened several years back. I was on a mission trip to Haiti, and uh, as we arrived, I really didn't know too many of the people, didn't know uh, the men very well before we got there. And as we uh, arrived and got situated, these guys really engaged me. They took a genuine interest in me. They asked questions. Uh, they 
looked me in the eye, and they prayed for me, and we prayed for each other. It was just a beautiful time. And what I felt was seen. I felt like a sister. They didn't look at me. These men didn't look at me uh, as a single person. They saw me as a fellow image bearer in the family of God. And another significant encounter happened in seminary, uh, a study group that I was a part of. Uh, it was all married men and me. <laughs> that was an interesting experience. But I loved these guys. I love these guys, Terry and Che and the rest of the, the guys. They, man, we engaged in some uh, robust debate. And they actually, they challenged me on things that, some of the things that I believed about the role of women in ministry. And they said to me, Cheryl, your spiritual gifts are, are pastor and leader. Those are your primary gifts. That's how you're going to have a fulfilled life. So go do that. Such encouraging words to me. Uh, and another dear friend, Bill and his wife, Lynn, who I came to know uh, as well when I moved to Dallas for seminary, uh, being with these two is like being in the presence of God. Have you ever met anybody like that? Just so blessed to be around them. But Bill not only literally invites me to the table, he's a really good cook too. <laughs> and he listens to me. And he engages me. He generally is interested to know how I'm doing and what's going on in my life. What I appreciate about Bill and Lynn is that I'm not a single person to them. I'm family. I'm a valued sister. We simply are community together. And all these connections, what I have felt is the love of God reaching out through God's family. My life has been so enriched by people who see me for me, not a label, not a role, and that has flowed out of an intimacy with God, both for them and for me. It's flowed out of that intimacy first. I'm grateful for friends who have modeled what it looks like to treat each other as humans. Living single and connected within God's family has been an unexpected, beautiful gift for me. As you can tell, it's been a journey. Uh, it's been a process. And I didn't even have time to tell you about some of my online dating experiences <laughs> or some heartaches. There has been a few of those heartbreaks. But I can say, I think I can, that I understand more deeply what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7 when he says an unmarried person is concerned about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. My relationship with Jesus is an intimate love affair. One of my favorite things, one of my favorite sounds is silence. When I embrace that time, I snuggle up with God in my alone time with him. I learn more every day because it is a process. 
I learn more every day how to embrace my deep need to be near Christ, to be close to him, and to enjoy a real companionship with him without the distractions. No husband, no children, no grandchildren, just Jesus and me. And as I lean in more and more into listening to God and his beautiful love letter to us, the Bible, and when I, as I talk with him and I listen to him in prayer, I take walks with him. I love the great outdoors because he is all around us in his creation. As I engage him in that way, I'm becoming more jealous for him. I wouldn't trade my journey with God for anything. So not only has intimacy with Jesus and discovering how he sees me brought wholeness to me, God's family has helped shape my identity through the deeper relationships that I've experienced. And in some cases, closer bonds than I have with my own relatives. That's God's family. That's how important we are to each other. And I am thankful that I can call God's family home. Well, thank you, Cheryl, for pointing us towards the goal of all, all relationships that we would see each other as human beings, each of us uniquely made in the image of God, male and female, capable of deep, personal, intimate connection with one another. And those kinds of relationships, that kind of intimacy, begins in our earthly homes, which is why our homes are so important but they lead us ultimately to our spiritual home, where through faith in Jesus Christ, we become sons and daughters of God and brothers and sisters with each other. And one of the things that families do together to remind themselves of their closeness is to come together regularly around a table. And we have an opportunity to do that this morning as we finish our time together to gather round the communion table. So let's pray for a moment as we do that. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us this morning of your great love for us, shown to us in Christ. Thank you for a time to watch Jesus in action, to learn from his relationships. Thank you for the many people who have invested in our lives, whether earthly or spiritual families that have nurtured love and intimacy in our experience. We pray that you might continue to draw us together as a family of faith in order that we might share your love freely with the world. Thank you for these few moments today to be close to you and close to each other. Meet us here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.